Let's go, y'all. Let's go, y'all. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Arch Conversations. And today we have with us the Grafunct co-founder, Jeffrey. Jeffrey K. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. So today we'll be talking about his journey into Grafunct and the growth of Grafunct. I, for one, am very interested because I am in design and... I'm always curious to know how do you even go about setting up a furniture store, much less making it successful and helping it grow. But first, I would like to know a little bit more about you. Like, I've worked with Jeffrey a few times, but I have never really sat down with him for a conversation, and this is the first one. So, Jeffrey, where, what did you study? What did you graduate in? What was your job like in the past before Graphunt? Yeah. So in my Prior life, uh, I was in the IT industry. Mm. Yeah, um, so a, a big part of it, I was doing software localization, which mm-hmm. is like yeah, totally different from uh, what I'm doing now. What is software localization for like? So basically, we we work with uh, big companies. Uh, I was in Autodesk in my last uh, corporate life, which is basically. As you guys know, it is, they develop AutoCAD, ah, a whole okay, series okay, okay. of AutoCAD mm-hmm. software. So we basically have to translate the English source to about 12 languages oh, so that wow. we could market it to each individual markets like mm-hmm. you know, like uh, Brazilian Portuguese, Japanese, traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, mm-hmm. Korean, etc. Mm-hmm. So a big part of that was... Uh, How long were you there? Six years, and I was also in the government sector for another five years mm-hmm. prior to that. So, quite a a varied uh, career, but pretty much almost all in the IT industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, what made you want to pivot, take the leap of faith, jump into uh, the unknown, go into the furniture? Yes. Did you even know anything about like the furniture um, industry? Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go in uh, with two eyes closed, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, I know Nathan, I mean Nathan Young, my business partner, mm-hmm. for a good ten years uh, prior to when we started Grafang. Mm-hmm. So um, Nathan was with Air Division, mm-hmm. as uh, probably a lot of people know, and uh, I, I guess it was a matter of timing as well. Uh, they parted ways, uh, so Nathan left uh, Air Division, and mm-hmm. then um, I mean we've always chatted that we we felt uh, we could synergize in terms of our characters and where we we excel in, and then um, yeah, in twenty two o nine we basically decided that I think uh, we could really give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So we went to partnership, and then we opened Grafunk. Mm-hmm. It was a very small setup then. Though. Mm-hmm. We occupied uh, our first store was at Park Mall, mm-hmm. so it was a basement unit, four hundred square foot. That's tiny. Yeah. That's and like where we're like at the, today. Maybe in the worst location ever, <laughs> basement unit next to a next coffee to the shop, which is like <laughs> horrible, bad lighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Nathan already had his collection, so. Mm-hmm. Um, we started with uh, his collection and then we... Meaning his own furniture? His design. His, oh, his own design. Yeah. Okay. Nathan's design and then um, we basically already have a um, manufacturing partner. 
mm-hmm. he developed really nice uh, collection. Where, um, how do you find that though, from his? Uh, yeah, I mean, Nathan has been working with them. Uh, they were developing and producing products for Air Division mm. and as well as uh, the bigger markets like US, UK, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, from there, we pretty much grew organically. Mm-hmm. So in 2010, we took the dive and basically uh, rented a, a nice industrial area uh, in Playfair Road. That's mm-hmm. how we started to really grow. Mm-hmm. So we took on a 3,000 square foot uh, light industrial area, which was owned by Kongguan Biscuit. Mm-hmm. So really nice with uh, wave ceilings, and uh, yeah, it, it's it was a uh, it was just basically a warehouse come showroom per mm-hmm. se. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pretty much uh, we continued the DNA where we grew Grafang organically. Maybe until 2015 or so, that we decided that I think uh, in order to really branch out and really go, uh, we had to be in a city location. And that's when we basically started uh, at Millennial Walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's when I first learned about Grafant, mm. when it was at Millennial and yeah. visited. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we took on big brands like Lini Rose, uh, which Nathan designs for. So in that sense, so, oh, so we have certain reach out to the owners. No wonder. So. I was like curious to know how you guys actually reached out to these um, yeah. brands. Yeah. I mean, back in. then we were just really small boys and uh, it was really um, a big opportunity for, for both of us to take on Lini Rose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because like these big brands, they would usually want to know mm. how much you can scale for them. And yeah how much you want to order it yeah. in and stuff like that, right? Were there any conditions at the start of how uh, much? Like, I think they're, I mean, they're French, but pretty much uh, they're also very genuine in terms of taking care of their partners. Mm-hmm. So prior to us was basically Monticello, um, run by Shaw Brothers mm-hmm. family, which they had partnership for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. So we knew, I think, they value partnership. And I think for us, uh, we committed to a mono brand store. Mm-hmm. Which is I think what they're looking for, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean it was a steep learning curve, but I think uh, we do what we do uh, in that sense. We basically um, we carry the brand forward because back then I think uh, the brand was sliding down pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't much attention given to it. And mm-hmm. You mean in in the local market? In the local market. Yeah. And then after, that was 2010, right? 2015. And then how did you jump into Fulunang? Right. So we basically were pretty comfortable in Millennial Walk. I think we had a good like uh, six years there. We started with a pop-up store because Millennial was undergoing this very huge revamp. If you remember like around 2015, they were in really bad shape. Because um, there's a department store there. There was a Japanese department store mm-hmm. that basically went bust and then mm. they left. Uh, so they, it leaves a big void. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we discussed with them. I think they like who we are and there's certain synergy into what the direction they're going. So we tried out. I mean, we were basically being bounced off here and there in terms of taking which unit. Mm-hmm. 
So we started a very small store uh, in the first floor while waiting for a bigger unit on the second floor, which eventually we went into. Furniture business in Singapore, unfortunately, it's it's tough in the sense that we we always have to uh, tackle the cost issue of rentals, right? Mm. Right. Uh, I think because most, the, the, yeah. the amount of space that you actually need to right. have a showroom yeah. and the warehousing, exactly. that's the rental comes in really steep, right? Yeah. So we were occupying quite quite a big space of about eleven thousand square foot. Uh, cumulatively through the four brands that we represent uh, and we started with probably about 7,000 and then we grew uh, the different brands into each mono brand store but um, when the lease was up and then come to negotiation I think uh, there wasn't really a, a agreement that we could reach with uh, the landlord and uh, yeah I remember one of my Custom, good customer was uh, uh, one of the CEO of Capital Land. Mm -hmm. So he basically uh, wanted me to explore, right? Because back then it was uh, Funan was coming up, and uh, you mean the revamp also? Yeah, the new Funan. Yeah. So I, uh, I guess I owe him at least uh, a visit to the site. So mm -hmm. I went there and. I was quite surprised into the potential that we could see in terms of uh, the, the space. It was a very big space with a rather small frontage, which I think not many retailers can take on. Mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, we managed to get an agreement. They were supportive. And yeah, so here we are. Actually. Nice. So you speak of it like it's like, because his voice is very monotone like this, and very calm, right? So you speak of it like growing this business like you go through it like an index right yep. but what were the challenges like that you can remember that hit you really hard in this oh, learning yeah. curve plenty i don't know where to start <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean um it's been like 13 years or so yeah it's about 13 years so i think of course when we started we were really small and we 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 could get by in that way with uh, um, some organized mess mm -hmm. and you know uh, being dynamic uh, along the way because things were pretty much still in the scale or volume that we could manage mm -hmm. but I think as we grew um, there was a need to be more organized yeah. in terms of like processes um, you need new SOPs. Yeah, establishing SOPs, yeah. Uh, getting systems done, yeah, etc., yeah. etc., which I think, yeah, it was then that um, I was fortunate that my wife was open to joining us. Mm. So I think uh, for me and Nathan, we basically, I mean, guys usually are a bit more messy. So <laughs> we bulldoze our way. So that was good during the initial stage, I think. Yeah. We, we chong and we, we really... Uh, you know, just just go all out in terms of uh, committing to what we believe in. Mm -hmm. But and then, when as we grew, I think uh, with my wife joining us till today, she's with us. Um, yeah, I think she she really established in terms of the processes and the systems in place mm -hmm. and managing a lot of the 
So she became yes. your business manager, so to speak. Yeah, operations. Uh, she's in charge totally. Yeah. And how does that work? Because I know quite a few like couples who work together. Yeah. Has that created any friction for you? Do you all bring? Do you guys bring home any friction from work back uh, home? I, yeah, I mean that's a good question. I think we get that a lot. So uh, it's definitely not easy mm -hmm. uh, per se, but I think our characters are still okay in that sense that we we could still debate about things and you know sometimes she has to give in and sometimes I have to give in. So in that sense, I think we try not to sweat the small stuff. Yeah. So, but you still talk it out, you, like you do you figure it out or like you just give in and be like. Yeah, I think it's it's both ways. Sometimes she she just give up and let me do it. And <laughs> sometimes I give up and let her do it. So, by the end of the day, we know that. But there's no grudge, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what I'm trying to say, right? Because yeah. I think I know a lot of couples who work together and then mm, they sweep stuff under the rug. Yeah. And it gets accumulated, and then after that, it was just like. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, I think so far it's been almost maybe eight years. It's been okay. The kind of hard work that you have to put in, not just mentally but physically, you know, you have to unload container. You do it yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the past I, I, I do it, not by myself, but I'm always involved in mm -hmm. that sense. Uh, until today, sometimes when there's no man, I have to go down. Mm -hmm. Or managing customers who may not be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, Potential delays that we face, uh, you know, when uh, the French port is on strike. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's some production delay, mm. and customers have been waiting for three months, and we need to explain ourselves. I think that's something that's very um, prevalent in this uh, the interior design scene as well. Yeah. Because you are working with, I mean, at least I am working with various different suppliers, mm. sanitary fittings, you know. Yep doorknobs like the the smallest thing that right. like the client potentially will not see right. like they probably pick like okay i like this doorknob with yeah. that paint wall color right but they do not see like the back end like even a, a paint could be from kl mm. and has to be trucked in yeah. and your doorknob has to be flown in from a certain place and due to economical situations they're always like what you said there's like ports on strike there's like the war now, fuel prices go up, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. just like issues that, that happen with shipping, yeah. um, and and all suppliers themselves bring in the wrong product, mm. or or like their suppliers send right. in the wrong product, and right. there's things like that. And I think like what you said, because the clients have been waiting for their renovation period for like six months, you know, because pre-renovation we also have to discuss like yeah. site meetings mm. before. Uh, get the you know renovation blah, blah blah confirmed and then you start renovation so that whole process and due process could take six to nine months sometimes if the house it's a building the house it takes mm. even longer so like by the time it comes down to that point where where we are talking about sanitary wear coming in and all this stuff coming in furniture coming in right definitely it's not going to be hey everything's coming in july 11th on the dot 11 a.m it's all going to be there Correct. like what you said there will always be little items that are missing here and there mm coming in late and it's very hard to explain to an mm. end consumer because they will not get it right. there are very few people who are very patient about mm. it yeah we sometimes we question ourselves uh, if you deal with a bigger company do you behave the same uh, versus someone that is smaller and maybe uh, you have access to 
say the higher correct right yes correct right. exactly what really, i mean uh, make exactly a difference? what yeah. i mean exactly what i mean so if they were dealing with the brands themselves versus your local yep. distributor i think the tone will be different the tone will be very different and that i guess is majority of people yep. potentially ourselves included except i'm in the industry so i'm super flexible and so now that you're listening to this i think that if you're looking to design your home or furnish your home or whatever setting i think it is fair to say you should give yourself four to six months to order furniture and certain pieces which i will get into later um takes even longer right because i think there's this thing that people don't understand it's not like okay i like this chair in red get it to me by six months because it's also certain allocations yep. i'm sure no, 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 don't say i'm sure if you have gone to a car dealership before it's the same thing if you want it faster and not indent your order and it will come they will tell you our allocation for march is this in blue and black and white and whatnot and if you want it indented in your color it could take up to a year and a half two mm. years mm. and i think that's fair and if it's your home and you, you intend to live there there's another thing as clients how long do you intend to live in your house because some people you know it's like they just got married love but no kids yep. maybe we'll have kids don't know yet i'll live here for three years then i would say okay well then mm. you know it's not so imminent but if you're going to live somewhere for like 15 years let's think this through and if you have to yep. wait then i'd rather you wait correct yeah patience is a virtue especially in our very fast-paced digital world certain things like furniture you just cannot rush yeah yeah let's talk about some of the pieces of furniture that you really like uh okay <laughs> no because like when we go when if you so happen to go to the showroom and he's there right to take you a walk through he's very very passionate <laughs> about furniture like you seem like just very calmly sitting here right? of course he's like very introverted but um when he's talking about his furniture he's not just i feel a salesman you're not selling it it's really education you are yeah. sharing what the designers trying to you know share with the world i try <laughs> yeah there's a thin line you have to cross between integrity what you like and what the client wants correct yeah i think this is something that all creators face and it's for you like a retailer face as well because I care about the work that I do and I don't want to give up the integrity of yep. my design. Yep. Yeah. But at the same time, like you also want your clients to be happy. Correct. It needs to sell. Basically, yeah. we have a business because we also want to make money, right? At right. the end of the day. Yeah. Basically, pursuing, we need to survive. We need to pursue something that we actually are passionate in doing. But at the same time, make enough margins to also grow the business. So mm. the, the, the line is really quite thin, I feel. It's true, it's true. How do you maintain that line? Honestly, not every brand that we bring in, we are successful, mm. to be honest. Uh, there are brands that we love a lot and I think we, we, we went after it, uh, we developed it, uh, we showcase it. But, you know, um, like everything else, uh, sometimes things grow organically, whether you like it or not. Yep. So, you really have to be on the ground to feel... Uh, what is the response like from customers? Understand the brand's uh, direction, whether they have changed along the way. And some of these things, you may have to take a hard decision 
to say that, you know, I think we still love your brand, but I think it's not working out. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are brands that maybe uh, it may not be something that we we feel that it's really up there in terms of design, but uh, they're very efficient in terms of all other factors, in terms of uh, the price point, the branding, the quality, and it can basically cater to a wide audience, then mm. I think it is a good brand commercially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, we try to have a bit of both, and at the same time, I think, um, yeah, it's just very complex, I, I would say. I, I don't have a straight formula for it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes uh, it could boils down to just the gut feel of whether you feel... So I'm sure like your gut feel is not just a gut feel, it's really based on years of experience as well. well I also want to talk about that. So after running this business for, what, 14 years, you're still on the ground, basically, right? Yes. And like this will translate into what I want to say next. Advice for SMEs, right, out there. I think a lot of people start businesses thinking one day I want to succeed, one day I want to succeed, one day I want to make it big for whatever region, whatever version of success they have. Yeah. Um, but I think like when you start a passion business, you're always involved. You will always be involved. Um, unless maybe one day you succeed in this hierarchical chain that you can create. It's so big that you can be right on top. But then you still somewhat be involved. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, the blessing and the curse of SME. Right? Yeah, because you were <laughs> talking about we, being on the ground, talking to customers still, right. talking to brands still. So you are still very much involved after this, like more than a decade. It's true. Yeah. And as much as I would like to say your business is successful, it still takes a lot of your time and effort, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's always a work in progress. So mm. um, you can rap car hard. Work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. So yeah. it, it is always about uh, right, um, both feeling what's on the ground, having a good feeling of what's on the ground, as well as uh, having the ambition to take it to the next level. Mm. Unfortunately, I think the definition of SME is very wide. Mm. You know, could, we could be a five-man team, it's an SME, mm. uh, I don't know, 500. Uh, employees still and yeah, SME. correct. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I think we are the XS SME. Oh, that's what I always say. I'm the <laughs> yeah. double XS SME. Yeah, so if you start out that way, I think uh, you have to take it in stride that uh, that's what makes you unique and you know, to have that differentiating factor of the USP, you really need to be um, involved in, in, in one way or the other. It's not so much that at your age you should be doing less or potentially maybe at your age not so oper operationally involved meaning 9 to 5 you're standing every time the showroom's open you're there. Yeah, yeah. But to still understand the back end ops and how things are running I think that's still very important and relevant. Yep, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But of course when you need to take a break or when you want to take a break still being able to do that because I feel like a lot of us like chase after this star or like whatever it is, right? And we build this dream thing, right? And then we get guilt into taking a break. Yep. And yeah. I want to stop feeling guilty because I at some point I ask myself like, if I have back-to-back -back projects, right? And interior design requires me to be there every week or twice a week at yep. least, right? So I then feel like 
if I take a break in between, will the client think that I'm not serious about my job or the project management is half-assed or something like that? But then I was like, then it comes down to my time management. I then, I now have like, I actually plan, it's very funny, I know it's only been a year, but then my brain processes things very fast. And to optimize the way I work, I now like have in my own head a timeline or basically a calendar where I go like the projects that are up to June, there will be a gap and the next one will start in July. So that, you Mm. know, like June holiday, I can go somewhere with my daughter, something like that. So I think that it's not so much that we shouldn't be operationally involved after a decade because I think it's impossible because it's something, it's your baby, right? Something you love so much. But more than that, it's time management to be able to like step away from it when you need the break. That balance has to happen. All right, Jeffrey, thanks for your time today. Thanks for sharing your insights and how you've grown the business and the challenges that you've faced. And that's all we have for you. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you.